0: GJ, it's a good thing you were here for the service because that envelope might not have made it to you. So um, I might have had two envelopes. Uh, <laughs> Wait, I'm talking in church right now, aren't I? Okay. Um, it's good, so good to have you guys. Uh, we're glad you guys are here. My name is Josh. If we haven't met, if this is your first time, we're so glad that you guys are here. And uh, we are, we have started some new things today. Uh, we have two services, 9:30 and 11, and uh, we know this is a, an interesting time. Uh, the way that we've decided to approach. Kind of the mask and some of that stuff is we have a 930 service where we kindly ask everyone to mask up and to serve those uh, who that's essential for. And uh, this service is a little more optional. So thank you for the grace um, to show that to each other. Uh, We've got a higher calling, don't we? We have a higher purpose and uh, something that unifies us more than politics and anything else. And that's Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so thank you guys for just the grace for that. And um, in fact, uh, this past week, I had the joy of experiencing my first COVID test. So, yay, hey, I'm, I'm fine. I'm not sick. I'm, I had a sore throat, and uh, for everyone else's sake, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't uh, carrying something that would infect you guys. So anyway, that was fun. If you ever had one of those, uh, wow. Um, <laughs> so to all those in the medical field and healthcare right now, thank you so much uh, for what you guys do. Um, can you guys take a second and just thank our worship team as well? Really appreciate them and all <laughs> that they do. So good. Um, and as well, if you haven't uh, seen our kids' ministry, they, they spent some uh, time this past few months um, remodeling our rooms, uh, cleaning those rooms. Those are, those are awesome. I wish I was back in the kids' rooms today. So go see those. Go see what they've done. If you see somebody in an orange shirt uh, that's one of our kids' volunteers, make sure you thank them. Uh, my wife is one of them. I just want to thank her so much for all the hard work she's done. So make sure you take a second after service and go do that before you go get the donuts and cider. All right, we are, as a church, we're in a series, uh, it's called Dawn is Coming, and I love the vision and the heart behind this. I love the imagery, right, that dawn is coming. And that is so true. As a, as a Christian, as somebody who has faith in God, um, we believe always that our future is better than our past. I hope that's something that you can internalize, no matter where you find yourself, that your future is always better than your past. Uh, Because of our faith in God that is the hope that Peter is calling us and challenging us to hold on to That there are brighter days ahead And so uh, I'm excited to go into today's message and sometimes when you're teaching through a book of the Bible You'll come across passages that you'd rather skip over because they're challenging Uh, One of my commitments is to never do that Um, I want to I want to teach you guys God's Word if it's challenging uh, so be it. We will dive into that. So today's one of those challenges. Uh, to kind of set it up, though, I want to tell you part of a story, and then I'll tell you the second part of the story at the end. That's my way to rope you in and to keep you throughout the whole message. So when I was in grade school, uh, probably third or fourth grade, um, I was new, a new kid to a school, an elementary school in Port Huron, Michigan, and um, I was a small kid. I was a fairly smart kid, and I wore glasses, so that put me at the top of the list for kids likely to get picked on um, in grade school. All right, uh, if I had a I would show you a picture and you'd be like, okay, yeah, I get it, like that kid's, you know, anyway. Um, so I got, I got picked on and I had one kid in particular who was uh, a bully in my life. And uh, he, you know, our, our two uh, life situations were completely different. Uh, I come from a very intact, you know, family, uh, loving dad, loving mom. Uh, siblings, uh, great, great family, and he did not have that background in that situation. And so one of the ways that that he expressed that was through picking on other kids at school. And so I want to ask you a question. Um, If Those of you who are parents, if your kid came home in that situation, I want you to think about this question. What would your advice be to your child? What would you tell them to do? And also as a parent, uh, what would you do? And then if you found yourself in that situation, think about it from that perspective. If you, if you were that kid or if you were that person, how would you respond to that bully um, in your life? Now, I know we've got lots of scenarios, and I, I will, I'll have to put, ask you to put that on pause. I'll tell you the end of that story um, at the end of the message. So we're going to read a few verses of Scripture that um, when we first read them, you are not going to like what we read. I'm just going to warn you for that. And for 21st century uh, ears, this is going to seem strange. It's going to seem like this is why the world is what it is. It's going to seem like this is part of the problem. But I guarantee you, as we understand better what's going on, um, it's going to make sense, and God is going to speak to you through it. So, First uh, Peter chapter two is where we're going to be, um, starting in verse 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, you can grab one of the Bibles in front of you. Uh, if you do not have a Bible. We would love for you to have that as a gift. That would be our gift to you. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, there's a spot in the front called the Table of Contents. You can look up 1 Peter and find the page number and find that, and uh, you can join along. Um, these, a lot of these things will also be on the screen as well. So thank you guys for, for being here. Um, those online, thank you for being a part of this service today. Here's what it says. Peter is the author writing to a group of Christians in an area um, known as Asia Minor. Um, it's a real place, a real people, a real letter from the, the first century, uh, and here's what he writes to them. We read some of these verses last week, and we're going to see the greater context today, and we're going to talk about how this applies to us. So here's what it says. 1 Peter 2 verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, everybody say for the Lord's sake, to every human authority. We're already like, I don't like this. All right, Whether to the emperor, which was like their president as the, the supreme authority, or to governors, who are very governors, who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. We'll unpack all this together. For it is it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil live as God's slaves, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Then he gives advice to specific groups of people. He says in verse 18, slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears under the The pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth, it says about Jesus. When they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Again, I want you to think about my bully situation on the playground, all right? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Talking about Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By Jesus' wounds, we have been healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer, of your souls. Now he gives advice to women. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Rather, it should be of the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way for this way, sorry, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abram and called him her Lord. You are daughters, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. And then finally to husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives. I, I assure you, it's not—it's not encouraging polygamy. Um, it's talking to a group of people so as you live with your wife to treat them with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will will hinder your prayers. All right, whoo Let me take a deep breath. That's a lot, but this is written as a letter, so we need to understand the whole context and see the whole picture. So. Uh, If you're any kind of thinking person today in the 21st century, we read this and go, this is everything that's wrong with the world right now in the 21st century, right? (laughs) Uh, It's talking about slavery. It's talking about women being subject to men. It's talking about all these difficult and controversial things. And then you actually have to ask the question, did the Bible just endorse slavery? Because it says, slaves obey your masters, right? So what's so, so important, though, is that we understand the context of this letter. So what we're going to do is I'm going to—today's going to be a lot of teaching— a little bit less preaching, but we have to understand the first century context, because this was written to an audience, it had an original audience, right? We are not the original audience of this letter, but God also does use this, and there's timeless principles that we can find that are still important for us today. So what is the original audience? The original audience are first century Christians in an area known today as Turkey, modern day Turkey, Asia Minor. They're living in the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire is different than what we experience right now in the 21st century. Um, so here's the first thing that he says to Christians. He says, Christians must submit to every human authority. He says, verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Now, I had a great conversation this past week with many of you or some of you on the topic that we talked about last week about should Christians be willing to wear masks? Um, and it brought up a lot of great questions, uh, because we talked about these verses, and what these verses are not saying is that we should just roll over and take everything that comes to us from those who are in authority over us. That's not what it's saying, but it is saying that we should submit out of reverence for God, out of being submitted to God, submit to human authority. Thankfully, in our culture, we have ways to push back, even legally, against things that we disagree with. Does that make sense? Um, an important distinction is that submission is not the same as surrender. He's not saying surrender. He's not saying give up your rights, give up your opinions, give up your freedoms. He's just saying I want you to submit to governing authorities. Use every avenue you have to push back. But the thing is, for for these first century Christians, they didn't have those avenues. This was the Roman Empire. They didn't have the same recourse that we have. So his advice to them is in the midst of this, my advice, and the best thing you could do is rather than fight back or push back, I want you to be submitted to the to human authority. Um, the word submit uh, in the original language, which is Greek, means exactly what we think it means. It means submit. <laughs> uh, it comes from the Greek word hupo, hupotasso, um, means to obey or to place oneself under one's control. See, this is not our, our first or natural instinct. But what's being taught is the principle of by submitting to other authority, by submitting to human authority, we are exp- expressing our submission to God. We're doing this out of reverence for God that we are willing to submit to human authority. This means your boss, uh, it means your parents, um, it means those in authority and leadership over you. So this doesn't make sense to us, right? Our first reaction when we're experiencing any kind of oppression is to create a hashtag and to go to town, right? To try to win a, 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 um, a crowd so we can influence people. But this is not what he encourages them to do. He says, I want you to submit. He says why in verse 15. Here's why he's encouraging them to do this. Verse 15, by it is by God's will that by doing good, you would silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So in this first century... There were people who are following Jesus, and there are a lot of rumors surrounding this early group of Christians. There's a lot of things that people were calling them or saying that they were doing. Let me just ask real quickly, um, how many of you had a nickname growing up? Uh, quite a few of you. Uh, I won't call anybody specifically, but does anybody want to share their nickname? What was your nickname? Bean. Bean? Bean. All right, like a coffee bean? Yeah. All right, that's good. What else? Boozle? All right. Bella boozle? Okay. Sunshine. I can, yeah, that, that fits. Sunshine. Yeah. What was it? Dabadoo. Dabadoo. All right. What are the nicknames? Corky. I didn't see where it came from. Corky. Oh, Courtney. Corky. I got it. All right. Anybody else want to share a nickname? GJ. I'm sure you had nicknames. GJ. All right. All right, George. George Joseph. All right, so I had a couple of nicknames. Um, one of mine in elementary school was Little Haas. My last name is Hostler, so it's just kind of shortened, and I have two older brothers, so I'm not Haas. They were Haas. Uh, I am Little Haas. Uh, in college, I worked as a part of a construction crew. Uh, first day, I showed up with a black, long-sleeve-like uh, shirt. So from day one, they called me Ninja. So Ninja, so you guys can call me Pastor Ninja. Um, but that was one of my nicknames. Uh, But at times, uh, rumors will, will swirl that are just rumors, they're ignorant rumors, and what Peter is trying to combat, there's a lot of those going around in the first century regarding Christians. Here's what some of them were. These are shocking. This is not exactly what you think of when you think of Christians, but here's what they thought of in the first century about Christians. I'll explain to you why. So one of the things that they accused first century Christians of was cannibalism, eating people's flesh seems kind of strange, right? But here's why they thought that. One of the things that Jesus taught, one of his teachings in John chapter 6 was unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you cannot be my disciple. That sounds like cannibalism, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> but what Jesus meant was uh, he's talking about communion, he's talking about the cross. Unless you uh, put your trust in what I'm going to do for you on the cross, right? Unless you receive my body and my blood, you cannot be my disciple. But they took it to mean these guys are, are eating people, right? So the the second thing that they uh, accuse them of is atheism, which sounds crazy. They accuse Christians of being atheists. And you have to think in a first century mindset, there's polytheism, there's pantheism, which means lots of gods, right? They worshiped all of them. That was the culture. And they said, there's a group of people who are worshiping only one God. We're way more religious than they are. They're worshiping only one. We're worshiping thousands, right? So they accuse Christians of Atheism above all, or it's just strange, right? Then um, the third one, we do have some young young ears. Uh, they they accuse Christians of of group activities. All right, um, trying to think how else to say that, parents. You guys can explain that later. <laughs> they 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 accuse Christians of what they called love feasts, uh, because Jesus encouraged them to love one another, and because they would get together and have communion, and have these times of prayer and worship and they didn't know what was happening behind closed doors, so they had these rumors going around about Christians. And so Peter is saying, if you want to combat these rumors and the persecution, the way that we're going to do that is by submitting to authority and by doing good to people. That that's the way we're going to put, uh, that we're going to silence the talk of ignorant and foolish people. Um, later on uh, in, in the book of First Peter, First Peter chapter 3, verse 9, just a few more verses later, Um, Peter says, don't repay evil for evil, or insult with insult. So basically what he's saying is, we don't fight the way that the world fights as Christians. The thing that we think on the surface that's going to make the biggest change is not the way that God chooses to win things. Like if you think of Jesus, um, Jesus is the example. Peter gives him as the example. For Jesus to save the world, he doesn't come in like the Avengers He comes in like a child, and he he submits himself to God's will and authority, and he gives up his life. Does this make sense? Um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., when he is pushing forward the civil rights movement, um, he doesn't do it by force. He does it by peaceful protest. That was a commitment that he had that he gets from God's word. So Peter then gives three different situations, three contexts um, for this. The first one is slavery. Um, the second one is for wives, and the third one is for husbands. So let's talk about the slavery one for a second. Here's what it says in verse 18 it says, Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. When we read this as 21st century Americans, uh, it makes us think that the Bible is endorsing slavery, but we have to understand a couple things regarding the context. First of all, American slavery and first century slavery are not the same thing. Uh, First century slavery, uh, let me give you some some information about what that looked like. In the Roman Empire in the first century, about 50% of the population uh, were considered slaves. Slaves were considered a part of the family or part of the household. Slaves, it was not based on race or skin color. It was typically based on um, war, or on foreigners in the land. So if you conquered somebody, those people became slaves. Uh, or if, if foreigners came into your, your land, they became slaves until they could earn their freedom. That's another difference is that people could earn their freedom. Slaves were oftentimes the most educated people in the family. Uh, they ran businesses and they negotiated deals. And so when Peter's writing to these churches, these Christians, it's possible... That upwards of half the people in these churches reading this letter were slaves. So that's why Paul is writing to them. He's writing to family units. He's addressing husbands, wives, and slaves. See, at this point in world history, slavery was rampant. It was everywhere. So, is the Bible endorsing slavery? That's a good question. I think some important things to point out. First of all, Peter's purpose in writing this. Sound like Peter picked a pack of pickle peppers. <laughs> uh. All right, back at it. So, when Peter's writing this, um, he's not giving commentary on slavery. That's not the purpose of his writing. He's writing to people who found themselves in that situation and giving them advice about how to live. Does that make sense? Peter also knows that if he encourages slaves and Christians right now to revolt against this institution of slavery, what is the likely outcome in the first century? Yeah, the Roman army would round up all the Christians and say, you guys are all going, uh, going down with this. So what his encouragement is to the, those who found themselves in this situation is to live as model citizens, to represent Christ, and the goal is to change the heart of your slave master one person at a time. The Bible does not endorse or condone slavery. The book of Exodus, for example, in the Old Testament, the entire book of Exodus is about God delivering his people who were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. He's rescuing them, delivering them from the bondage of slavery. In the New Testament, uh, the book of Philemon. Later on, just write, the book of, write Philemon down. Um, it's a letter that is written from Paul to a slave owner, Philemon, and Philemon had a slave named Onesimus who ran away. And this slave Onesimus uh, stumbled upon, upon Paul, became a Christian, and Paul said, Onesimus, you have to go back to your slave owner. But Paul writes a letter to Philemon and says, Philemon, this is a brother of ours. You should take him back, but not as a slave, but as a brother, and set him free. So the Bible is, is pushing these things uh, forward. And calling us to love one another. In in the church, the Bible describes a place where in the church uh, people are not um, categorized by uh, how much money they have or don't have or by their age um, or even by the color of their skin, uh, but by the fact that they are part of the family of God. Amen. Isn't that just awesome and amazing? It is. It's a beautiful thing. It's a picture of what God does. He takes down those dividing walls and he unites us in Christ. So Peter is not giving a commentary on slavery. He's simply encouraging, giving advice to those who find themselves in that situation. Um, Elton Trueblood, in his book, Alternative to Futility, um, said this, said, We are surprised to see how little the early early Christians dealt with current political and economic problems if we judge it by the extant literature of that period. They didn't even attack slavery, iniquitous as it must have been. They just went on building the kind of fellowship which was bound eventually to destroy slavery. So they didn't preach against it in that context, but the the type of uh, community that they built, the values that they had, eventually led to the overthrow of this institution around the world. We praise God for that. So, what he says to, the, to those in that position is, you know, we're not going to change slavery by any other means than changing one heart at a time right now. And what, what he wants to encourage them to do is that when their friends laugh about how Christians are cannibals and atheists, your slave master will know that that is not true. And your life and conduct and behavior will silence the foolish talk of ignorant people. Now, the next group that he speaks to are women. Um, what am I doing biting off all these really fun, controversial topics right now? Uh, we're, we're working through God's Word together. So again, this situation, there's kind of two distinctions. Peter's speaking to people who have authority and power. This would be civil authorities, um, slave owners and husbands. He's giving guidance to them, and he's also speaking to those without power in this cultural context that's slaves and that's women. In the Roman world, the husband and the father was considered what the Romans would, would call the familias. He's the head of the Roman family. So men in that context exercise what they would call autocratic control, uh, absolute power. And men, don't say amen. Do not say amen to that. <laughs> um, they exercise absolute power. Anything that the the, the husband Um, wanted to do, he had power to do. He owned the estate, so to speak. And if you were a slave, you were his property. And if you were his kid, you were his property. If you were his wife, you were his property. Again, this is by first century Roman society standards. So what Peter is encouraging women to do is if you are a Christian and your husband is not, the encouragement is that you would be submitted in respect and reverence to your husband so that you could possibly win him over to be a follower of Jesus. Does that make sense? Amen, Amen. exactly. So let me ask you this. If, if you were a non-believing husband in the first century and your wife becomes a follower of Jesus, she runs off to these groups of people gathering, and what you know about them is that they are cannibals <laughs> and they are atheists and they're doing group activities together. Are you going to be excited about your wife going and doing that? No. So Peter's advice to these women is to, to model Christlikeness for your husband so that you can win them over, um, that they will become followers of Jesus as well. Does that make sense? That's his advice to them. And I know that you may find yourself um, in a si- similar situation. Oftentimes it's the case where women are following Jesus and their husbands are not and it's such a a difficult and challenging season to be in, I would encourage you to follow the same advice Peter gives and God's word gives and trust that God is doing something even when it seems like nothing's happening. Um, You can pull out the secret weapon of prayer and go to town in prayer and ask God to use that. Now, if you're in in a dangerous situation, the Bible is not saying to stay in that situation, Um, but it is saying to submit and allow that submittedness um, to win over your husband. So, the goal is that by modeling Christ's likeness, you may win your husband over um, to Christ. So, next category of people is husbands. By society standards, just as a reminder, the husband in this society, in this culture, had complete power. And again, men, <laughs> keep your mouths shut for a little while. So, it is countercultural. When Peter says to the husbands, because one of the complaints says, well, why, why isn't he saying husbands submit to your wives, right? Said, love you. Yeah, love your wife, exactly. <laughs> so in it's counterculture. The advice he's giving, he says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wife. Yes. He's saying you respect them as a person, not as property. <laughs> that you treat them with love and honor and gentleness and care. And I have to be honest and confess that there are times when I don't treat my wife this way, right? And I'm I'm in the 21st century. They're in the 1st century. Imagine how countercultural that was. So he's challenging them to to a higher standard. Um, Man, I hope that we can feel the weight of that, that we are called Ephesians 5, another similar passage, um, says, that men are to lay down their lives for their wife, the same way that Jesus laid down his life for us. So the Bible is not endorsing uh, this kind of uh, patriarchal, authoritarian uh, model in the home. Yes, men have a different role than women, and God puts responsibility on men to lead their families spiritually. But it is not something where you force people to do it. That's exactly what Peter is saying. You don't force them to do it like our society says you can, and said you do it out of love and gentleness and respect, trusting that God is working in the middle of that. Um, one of the questions I ask myself as I try to evaluate how I interact with my wife um, is how would I feel if someone else were treating her this way? How, if I saw another man speaking with the tone or the words that I find myself sometimes speaking to my wife, if I, if I found another man saying those things to her or, or using that tone, those tones with her, <laughs> that's a good, good measuring stick, isn't it, guys? Like, I would not be okay with that. I'd be like, hey, uh, we need to talk. I am, I am Patrick Familius. I am the head of the household, <laughs> and you do not speak to my wife that way. Um, I have three young daughters. I can imagine one day uh, we're praying for their, their spouse, right, that God is providing a godly young man for them. Uh, but if I were to find one of those young men at times using the same tones and same words, that I find myself using with my wife, it'd be a different story, right? Uh, there'd be one less uh, fish in the, the, the pool, the <laughs> pond, uh, as an option for them for the future. So he's challenging the men, saying, hey, you know what society says and culture says, you can treat women this way, but God's standard is different. You treat women differently. You treat them with respect and honor and care and gentleness as you live. So I think the point is, uh, in God's economy, we don't win the way that the world wins. And it's challenging to know sometimes what God wants us to do in certain situations. Um, But I think we need to pray and ask God for wisdom. I think when God says fight, I think we fight. But when he doesn't say that, I think we're called to submit. And we're called to trust him in that submitting. All right, back to my grade school bully story. So what would you do in that situation? So after a few weeks, um, you know, snack time for a, an elementary kid, like that's, that's it. Like that's what you live for, you know, snack time. Uh, it would be apple slices, right, good old-fashioned apple slices. Uh, it would be maybe a, a bag of uh, Wheat Thins um, or uh, Cheez-Its. Um, and if my parents are watching, uh, they, they can attest to this. Uh, on a good day, uh, if my mom just got the groceries, it would be like fruit snacks, all right? Um, so uh, we'd go out for recess, we'd take our snack with us, and uh, this guy would come uh, every single day, and uh, he would say, hey, what's what's your snack today? And uh, he would take my snack. And uh, I was a smaller kid, and, you know, I didn't want to fight, and so uh, this went on for a while. Eventually, I told my mom, and... Uh, my mom, I love my mom, and I love that she, that she did this. So my mom is smart. She, she's a godly woman. Uh, she says, you know what we're going to do? This kid may not have, you know, maybe he's taking your snack because he doesn't have a snack. So we're going to send you to school with two snacks. And so the next day I go to school, and this guy's like, hey, what's, what's, what's for snack? And he's like, oh, sweet, I get two snacks now. <laughs> It didn't work. It didn't work. (laughs) So he ended up with two snacks. I ended up with zero snacks. And this went on for a little while. Uh, Now eventually, and I don't know how this fits in. We'll talk about this. Eventually, I was like, I've had enough. This isn't working. Uh, I tried to kill you with kindness. Uh, You're just getting fatter and bigger eating all of my snacks. Like, this isn't going to work. The the balance of power is not shifting in the right direction. (laughs) So eventually, and I don't know, maybe I just blacked out, maybe I made this up, but I think it's real. Uh, eventually one day, uh, I just I, I had enough, and we wrestled on the playground. I pinned him down. I've got older brothers. They taught me how to put the, the knees on the arms so you can't move your arms, you know, all that good stuff. So I pinned him down. I was like, are you done? I didn't hit him. I didn't do any of that stuff. I just pinned him down until he stopped struggling. I said, are you done? Eventually he gave up. I got off, and that was the end of it. Isn't that awesome? That was the end of it. So I... It did happen. It did happen, yes. And (laughs) exactly like I just told it in my own mind. I have no idea. Uh, Maybe it didn't happen exactly that way, but that's how it is in my mind. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Uh, The core elements are true. I do know that part. (laughs) Um, So what would you have done, right? And I think that there are times when God calls us to fight. There are times when God says, you know what, this needs to be addressed. This needs to be pushed back on. We need to stand up for truth. We need to push back. And there are other times when God doesn't say that. I think in those times, I think God's advice to us is to submit because submission, yeah, stand still, because submission is a sign of our submission to God. Submission is not the same as surrender. Surrender says, I give up, I quit. Submission says, I trust God. I trust God. And it doesn't look like you know anything's happening. We have to trust that God is at work. See, uh, Peter is kind of the same contradiction. Um, Peter, when Jesus is getting arrested in the garden, Peter's like, I got a plan. He pulls out his sword. He cuts off a guy's ear. And Jesus is like, that's not the plan. Like that, that may be man's ways, but that's not God's ways. So Jesus puts the man's ear back on. <laughs> and then, uh, then Jesus has a different plan. God has a different plan. Jesus is fully submitted to the plan of the Father. And sometimes it means turning over tables in the temple. Sometimes it means just standing there and waiting um, under the, the mighty hand of God to allow God to work and to move in a situation. So that is my challenge. That's my encouragement. I don't know what you're facing. I think some of you are fighting right now, and God wants you to to submit and to trust him. And in this season that we're in, I think that's probably similar to what we're feeling. How do we bring change? How do we do anything? Sometimes God says, I want you to to submit to me and trust my plan. You know, and to be honest with you, um, those snacks that I gave, that that I gave, that I gave uh, my friend in elementary school. Um, you have, we have no idea what, that, what, that, what impact that had in his life. I'm so glad that that was my mom's uh, first instinct, was to follow scripture and say, you know what, this is what, what you should do. Um, God says this is what we should do. And uh, we have no idea um, what that did in that person's life. And we have no idea uh, what the submission of the early Christians did. What we do know, though, is that the movement of Christianity... Um, it didn't stop in the first century, right? That it continued, and we're here 2,000 years later as an example that God's way succeeded and that God has a plan. I want to ask our worship team to come up, and we're going to pray. And I want to ask you guys to stand with me and to bow your heads. We'll pray together for God's wisdom. Heavenly Father, I'm just so grateful I just it sounds funny, but I, God i'm I'm grateful that you're God. Like I'm just I'm thankful that you are are wise and that you are loving and that you are good. And I know we read a passage of scripture like this in First Peter, and it's confusing to us. but I pray that um, you would help us, God, to wrestle with that question, you know, whose authority are we submitted to? As a man, am I submitted? to your authority, God, in my life? Am I willing to do whatever you ask me to do, God? And if that means to submit to human authorities, am I willing to do that? If that means to to stand up for what's right, am I willing to do that? Am I submitted to your authority, God? And uh, my prayer, my heart this morning, as I think about uh, family situations, maybe wives whose husbands are not following you, God, I pray for them. I pray for encouragement for them. I pray for grace for them. I pray that we could trust your plan. And God, this is a confusing time that we find ourselves in, but we do trust you. You are worth submitting to. You are worthy of submitting to. So God, uh, we, we give you everything. We submit ourselves to you and we trust that you will do amazing things um, through that as we as we live according to your word. Um, you will honor Um, Our desire and our willingness to honor and respect you. And we submit to you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.